And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 253 of This Old Marketing, recorded on Thursday, January 7th, 2021. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who is finally presiding over the first Browns appearance in the playoffs in 18 years, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Congratulations, my friend. Well, Happy New Year, first of all. Happy New Year. Yes, absolutely. Happy New Year. Yes, uh, we are all very excited in... Northeast Ohio and Browns country that, uh, but I'm sure you've heard the news. So, anyways, you're right. After I think, 17... I, I think the world was so, the world was so excited about the Browns making the playoffs that they stormed the U.S. Capitol. <laughs> I think that is that is that is the takeaway that we can all. <laughs> yes, uh, that's an interesting way to bring that up, Robert. But yeah, that yeah. that was well. First of all, I do want to get some commentary on that because uh, as we record this. I mean, yesterday was just one of those days I think we'll remember in infamy uh, for for hor- for not not in not good news, not not good things. But uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But just just quickly, uh, I've been a season ticket holder of the Cleveland Browns, as you know, for I think almost 13, 14 years and never a playoff game, barely even sniffing one. And in 2020 here, we finally make it. And I haven't seen a game this year, unfortunately, but. We're really excited, uh, even though half of our team and our coach is out with the vid. So, well, hopefully by the time the game comes around, I think if I did the math right, most should be able to come back. Is that not right? We have, uh, yeah, we have like three or four people in the secondary that should theoretically be able to come back, but we're out our uh, all-pro offensive lineman and our coach, and actually three coaches. I think the water boy is the coach. <laughs> because they, well, I think they've taken out right now. I mean, some might come back, but right now there's six or seven coaches on the vid list. So, oh wow, yeah. that's no good. That's that's not good for your first playoff appearance in however many years. It's it's you know, I mean, well, look, it's better than my team, which is funny because if we go back to the beginning of you know, let's call it August when we were doing a show and we were talking about the upcoming season, I think we would have predicted exactly the opposite. Would we have not? I mean, you know, we would have said, ah, oh, yeah, the Browns go six and 10 yep. and, you know, and, and, you know, miss the playoffs again, but six games is great. In fact, I think you actually said if they win six games this year, it'll be a good season. I, I predict. Yes. Um, I thought that six games was right. And I thought the talent was better than six games, but the fact that everything was new again, New coach, new right. coaching staff, new That's team, right. shortened season, short, certain preseason or no preseason. I like. I didn't yeah. think they could get their act together, but you're right. I I think we all and and let's be fair with your Cowboys. If Dak doesn't go down, you guys probably win that division. Let's and I I don't think there's any. Now your defense had has <laughs> issues, obviously, but there was nothing wrong with that offense when Dak was in there. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with the with the offense at all. So it's just a yeah, it's a defense problem and we'll see if they can fix it with a proper offseason and and all of that. So yeah. But I think inquiring minds want to know what you were doing yesterday. Were you um you know, were you playing Parcheesi? Uh you know, what was I didn't really know what was going on yesterday evening, but maybe you <laughs> 
maybe you were were you watching television? Were you watching the tweet stream? Do we even I, want to talk? Know, do we want to talk about any of this? I don't. Know I have no should. idea. Yeah, it's you know, it's. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. I, yeah, I mean, I did lean into it. I was like, I, I was going to watch it, and I ended up getting sucked into it and watching the whole thing. For those of you who, I guess, don't know what we're talking about, the, uh, you know, the Capitol was stormed by a bunch of rioters yesterday, pro-Trump uh, rioters, Terrorists. and. Um, you know, yeah, and it just went really south very quickly, and and you know, and I, you know, I hope that's the end of it. I hope, uh, I hope that was the end of it, and that the election is now certified, and you know, and and everything sort of settles down a little bit. And I think, it, in a weird way, maybe it was finally the straw that broke the camel's back of those that have been sort of enabling him. And so, I don't know. It, it you know. You're right. There's not much to talk about on a marketing show <laughs> about this, but uh, well, you know, you know, it is what it is. Let's talk about a little bit of marketing because this morning I was uh, reading Morning Brew newsletter here. I'm trying to pull this up so I have it because I sent this to my son, who's very much into My son is 17, and he's really into this right now. I, mean, I was never into anything political uh, when I was his age, but he's very much into it. So, But what I uh, sent him, we were talking about what you have to do to get kicked off of Twitter. It, right. So, exactly. you know, so very relevant thing for marketers, I think. And so this is, I pulled this, this is per Morning Brew. Uh, Morning Brew says, Facebook, which has come under fire for the way it's handled misinformation, also removed Trump's video and banned Trump's account from posting for 24 hours. So did Instagram. As for Twitter, it said any future violations, this is what I want to talk about, any future violations from the president's handle will result in a permanent ban. So they've... Wow. That's what we were... Because I was talking with my son about it, and he's like, hey, look, that's too much money to Twitter. They're not going to ban him. They'll give him a 12-hour slap on the wrist like they've been doing for the last three or four years and put him right back on. But according to this, it says one more thing. One, you know, long leash, but now... One, I mean, do you do you think that that's first of all? Do you think it'll happen? Second of all, do you think it's right? Uh, you know, I, I think it's what they're going to do. I, I, I you know, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, well, it's what kind it's, of an answer is that? Of course. Yeah, well, it's what look, here do. it is. It's fourteen days. I mean, we're talking about fourteen days. I mean, it it has long been suspected that they will ban him uh, as soon as he's not president yes. any longer, which will be treatment. in fourteen days, um, and. You know, uh, for the 14 days that intervene, uh, you know, it's uh, I don't know, you know, basically they said, as I understand it, they said if he doesn't delete those tweets, then he's going to stay locked. So I can see him easily deleting those tweets and putting up fresh new ones. And and we go through this little dance of, of blocked versus not blocked versus banned for another two weeks. And then. He's not president anymore, and then they ban him for good. I, you know, uh, you know, and they banned him from Facebook too. You re- you saw that, yes, yes? exactly. And, and that's, yeah, yeah, it's it's, kind of, it's just interesting. Uh, you know, the, there's a lot of people that will bring up, you know, how how do Facebook and Twitter and TikTok or whatever have where, where do they draw the line with what's allowed and what isn't? And you and yeah. I, you've had this discussion. You know, we talked about it on the show. Where if you are a 
media property, a television, like you have certain things that you have to abide by as for the appropriate appropriateness and the correctness of what you put on. Uh, and then, I mean, you know more about that because you grew up in television. So right. there's that. And then you have this whole online thing, which really doesn't abide by the rules of traditional television and really doesn't, it doesn't get overseen as much um, uh, regulatory, uh, whatever you would call it, regulation from the government. It seems like it's still a free-for-all out there. So I don't know. It's – who knows? Maybe it's just yeah. a start. All I know is, is I checked Facebook once yesterday, <clears throat> and every post was oh, about the yeah. same thing. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, it was big news. It was big news. I mean, you know, and so – and we'll continue. I, I guarantee you, this is gonna. This is not going away today or tomorrow or next week. You know, by the time this airs, <clears throat> for most people, it will be heavy into the quarterbacking Monday morning quarterbacking of, of what should have gone down, what didn't go down, what you know. The analysis of this will be will be big. Well, it's not going to. It's going. It may, unfortunately, I don't want to say this, but from a media standpoint, it may accelerate. Because we've seen what's happened with, um, what is it, OAN or o- One America News and sure. Newsmax yeah. that were getting nothing from a, a viewership standpoint before the election. And now they're getting millions of me- millions of people going and, yeah. and watching about this one thing. And a lot of that culminated yesterday. So that that's not going away. The, 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 the thing that we talked about with the, the Netflix documentary what was that called again um uh this the uh oh, what is no, it? i'm sorry i just sprang yeah. it on you and i don't even know the name of it but the, the netflix documentary <laughs> sure yeah on uh on using too much social media that we're we're seeing it play out in front of us right now and um it's going to be an ongoing issue so the social dilemma social dilemma yes it is a dilemma there you go and i can't remember anything dilemma. anymore <laughs> well, in that case, should we get to the marketing and yes, media news? Well, we have, yes. but hey, you know how we, I thought that was pretty good. We took a political thing yeah. and we shifted it into marketing and media. We shifted it. Shifted it. If we I took could a big shift. Certain shifts. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's, I, I, because I give a shift. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, let's cover our first story here, which comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. Um, and the headline here is Roku. You remember them. Uh, they near deal to buy rights to guess who? Quibi. Yes, that's right. The Quibi updates continue. Yes, you thought <laughs> you thought they were done, but they're no. not. Roku nears deal to buy rights to the Quibi content. And the article opens up by saying... Quibi is in advanced talks to sell its content catalog to Roku, according to people familiar with the matter, as the short-form streaming service winds down its operations following an unsuccessful run. Quibi, which was founded by the movie mogul Jeffrey Katzenberg, raised $1.75 billion, with a B, uh, dollars with an ambitious plan to develop high-end content for mobile phones, but the service, which launched in April, never gained traction. And they said in October, as we reported here, that it was shutting down. Roku, which sells the most popular streaming media player in the U.S., is pushing aggressively into content with its own ad-supported app, the Roku Channel, 
which offers movies and shows produced by other companies, and then a deal with Quibi would give Roku a roster of exclusive programming. Under the terms the companies have discussed, Roku would acquire rights to Quibi's library. The people familiar with the matter said financial terms of the proposed deal couldn't be learned. I think that's an incredibly subtle but important um, point in this story. Because I don't think they're selling the content. Remember, we talked about on this show that the Quibi didn't actually have, for most of the content, ownership rights. It had licensing. So what they're doing is selling the licensing selling the rights to the licensing, right? That's that's what they're Which doing. was so, yeah. yeah. So that'll be a temporary thing for, for Roku. And, and probably they will get it at a song, I would well, suspect. Well, that's what I was going to um, ask you. Is this, are they selling it for a full ham sandwich or just a half of a ham sandwich? As probably a ham sandwich um, <laughs> with very little on it. Let's put it that way. It's yeah. It's it's a bucket of pucks, as as my friend in it's, hockey used yeah, to say. Yeah, two white castles and a side of fries. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. That's uh, <laughs> it's interesting. I I wish they would just say this. This is the Wall Street Journal. They should just say that the content itself there's no value there because Quibi didn't own any of it. So that's right. That's right. Or a very, very small percentage of it. I mean, it's hard to know exactly how much they own versus license. But as we understand it from what I've read, they don't own much of it at all. So they were, you know, so so they're basically assigning over the licensing that they had, the agreements they had, which was probably part of the licensing agreement that they had the flexibility to say, hey, we can license this to someone else. And they'll pay a very small fee, much certainly much smaller than Quibi paid. Um, and so they're getting some, you know, maybe 30 cents on the dollar, maybe 40 cents on the dollar, something like that. And so Roku gets a great deal on a library of content that they can use for a little while to promote their stuff. And it doesn't cost them nearly as much. And it's, so it's fairly risk-free and Quibi gets a little dough to soften the blow of losing, you know, more than a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, this story is obviously as much as we like to make fun of Quibi is this is all about Roku and Roku doing yeah. Roku doing a Netflix in my opinion. I mean Ro- I have oh, read yeah, more articles sure. in the past 6 months about Roku's dominance and how they have I mean I think the hold up you know the hold up between them not having the HBO Max app on the Roku system was more because of Roku's demands I think than HBO Max's demands. Of course, they both had, you know, they both had a lot of power depending on what you're looking at, content and distribution. But it's it's really amazing where, and when I say doing a Netflix, Netflix started out leveraging other people's content and has become the Netflix that we know is because they most of the content is now their own. That's right. And they've moved away from that licensing aspect. Because the, well, the profit the margin thing. on that is is huge. I mean, that gets right to the critique that we had of Quibi, which is, you know, when you license content, you know, your margins go down enormously. Um, and it's a bill that never goes away, right? And so that's the, the if if you can create compelling content that you own, it just gets more and more valuable over time. That evergreen nature of it just gets continuously more valuable because you don't have, you know, at some point it's a hundred percent profit, right? You've, you know, you've gone through all of the costs of creating that content and you just continue to, to build and build and build and build and, and, and with licensing that, you know, it's just always the same. And so you have much less chance for failure, right? You have, you know, a, a, you know, when you go license a, 
you know, everybody made a big deal about uh, Netflix losing the office, right? Well, that's why they, they lost the office because that, you know, they, they, they can do the math and they see that not enough people are watching the office to maintain a licensing cost on the office. And so there's no reason for them to keep it, right? They just, you know, they, they yes, people, some people will be a small group of people will be upset that the office isn't available anymore, but the math just doesn't work. Yeah. How many people are going to get yeah. rid of Netflix because the office is gone? Very, that's very right. few. That's right. Very That's few. right. And it doesn't matter if they even if they watch it. Right. You know, the, the, the thing is, if, if, if they watch it, they still have to pay the same amount of licensing fees. And so. That's the, you know, they, they have to pay the same amount of licensing fees if 10 people watch it versus a million people watch it. And so it's, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's a built in tax. And so anything they can do to duplicate what would be in that time slot or what would be in that space with something they own is much, much, much more profitable. And so that's, that's the math that all of these, uh, distribution companies like a Roku and a content company like an HBO are doing right. They just, you know, that's, that's their, that's, that's the sort of negotiation and dance that they all do. I don't think people have noticed the fact that Roku's stock has gone up more than a thousand percent in the last two years. I mean, it's done, a, yeah, it's, it's literally done a Tesla. And I don't think a lot of people have noticed the fact that if you get a Roku device or you have a television with Roku um, software and you don't have Netflix and you don't have HBO Max and those types of things. You can re- there is so much content on Roku. You'd be really surprised. Like you don't they've been making these deals for a long time. They've been doing de- other deals with Pluto and with Flix and other channels where you can get free television today. Yeah. You just need the Roku device. Of course, you're pay- you're paying for the ads. You are the product, but I what I'm amazed by and I don't <laughs> I don't know if you'd call this a watershed moment or what, how you would put this into a frame, but the amount of content archives being purchased right now, or the number of companies that are looking on purchasing content archives from different organizations, I've never seen anything like it. I've been in the industry for over 20 years now, and everyone is sniffing about content archives. Shoot, this morning, I just tweeted out, Neil Young sold half his, his music catalog. Yep. You, we talked about Bob Dylan two weeks ago. Uh, That's right. This this is happening. This is crazy. So what we're finally realizing, and this is good for a lot of independent content creators as well, your content catalog may be worth a lot of money to somebody. Yeah, well, the, it's something that we, I mean, we touched on it a little bit when we talked about Bob Dylan, but it's absolutely true is, is you know, and we're we're about to segue and talk a lot about mergers and acquisitions here, but, you know, it's not going to be long. This is not a prediction. This is well, it is a prediction in the sense that of of what I'm about to say. But but I, I absolutely think it's a hundred percent going to come true, which is it's not going to be long before the valuation of product and service companies uh, are going to be. You know, one of the major points of the valuation is going to be your content catalog. You know, what and the you, audience what you, you have because of it, and the audience you have. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you know, when you look at some of the companies that we'll talk about just here in a minute. And what they've been able to build from a from an evergreen catalog to the audience, the active audience that are not just customers that are just active audience, that will become a major piece of the valuation of a of of a company, and and that is you know that's going to happen, right? And so yes. that you know it, it it changes it changes the the 
you know, it, it changes the priority, quite frankly, of companies and their efforts around what we would call content marketing. But it, but it, more importantly, elevates what we're doing with content to a much deeper financial standard. Uh, I know we want to get on. We got a lot to cover, but yeah, this, I want to get your take on this. If you looked at the two platforms, you looked at Apple TV Plus and HBO Max. Who would you rather be? Right now, uh, Apple, Apple TV. Why would you rather be Apple? Um, I think they have the distribution and the content capabilities. Okay. HBO is still is still just a content company, and they depend upon the interme- uh, intermediary of the distribution. Um, you know, I think it's uh, you know they're they're still very very dependent. Now, here's the thing: I like both. Right? It's not that I don't like one and like the other. I think they're both great businesses. But um, if I if I if I were to pick, I would pick Apple. I would say I, I like your idea about distribution, but I'm going to go with HBO Max for a couple of reasons. I think a lot of people don't realize the distribution that they get with AT and T, and AT and T has barely started to do anything with that. And they, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. Like like if you were to say, look at look at the top uh, the the hundred largest companies right now in publicly traded companies if i look at them and say which do i think has the most potential right now and this is more than tesla and more than these other ones i would maybe put at&t at the top because that stock has done nothing for the last 10 years and they have this jewel of hbo max and the reason why i love it is that those content archives are worth so much they only need to show, throw out these wonder woman 84s for all they you know for good or bad every once in a while to get subscribers, but they will keep subscribers because of that catalog. Apple TV doesn't have the catalog. That's their problem yeah, right now. I, they have they I have agree. maybe maybe two percent of the content that HBO does. Yeah, I, I agree. However, that puts them squarely in competition with so many other of the uh distribution networks right now. So, you know, when you think of things like you know, so AT&T is DirecTV, it's, you know, it's, it's U-verse, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, so it's classic cable, mobile, and DirecTV satellite. Mm-hmm. That's their major entertainment distribution, distribution channels. And so, yay, but that puts them in direct competition with things like Comcast and with Spectrum, Charter, and with, um, you know, Verizon with, uh, you know, uh, all the other sort of everybody else there, you know, which is where HBO Max is going to run into some challenges, um, you know, because they will get most favored nation, I'm sure, because they're part of the AT&T network um, and, um, and, 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 and win because of that. But they also are left in a bit of a channel conflict when it, when it comes to the other things. And it's, I, I think it's, it, you can see it's limiting them now, right? Where you can get, you know, HBO Max and not because they're still arguing over deal points. True. But I think they'll push through that. And I think that you have. Yeah, they, yeah, they probably you, will. Well, I mean, the, the thing that, the, that I look at is when Disney came out with Disney Plus, they and and at the same time, just about that, their core business was down ninety percent. The stock more than doubled. Now I know the stock market is crazy right now, but why is that? Because of the potential of Disney Plus and eighty-six million subscribers. Well, HBO Max yeah. has that same kind of potential. They have that same kind of maybe not not quite Disney, but pretty darn close. When you look like the quality type of, of content on HBO, eh, Max we'll see. Available. It's we'll really see. amazing. They've had a couple of, 
They've had some good hits. We'll see. We'll see if they can continue it. You go go. Just scroll through sometime all the hits and all that when you go through <laughs> Sopranos and you go through all the different shows that they've had on there. It's pretty Game of Thrones. All the shows you yeah, like, yeah, of course. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. HBO has a lot as a deep library. There's no doubt about it. But it will be what, what makes a network like that work is not the library. It's the new content. Okay, let's put a bet on it. It's what have you? It's a what have you done for me lately? Let's put a bet on it. I bet you right now. It's January seventh, twenty twenty one. I bet you that AT and T stock outperforms Disney stock this year. Well, uh, no, I'm not taking that back because Disney's <laughs> too wrapped up. It's too wrapped up in physical presence things. Yeah, it's too wrapped up in theme parks and oh. all that. So, yeah. Wah, wah. I here's what I here's what I will say. Okay. I will I will bet you that AT Apple TV or or uh, uh, or Disney TV subscribers uh, acquisition beats HBO Max. Okay, what you, you're saying? Wait. Disney's, uh, you well, let's do Disney. I, I would say that HBO Max will have more subscribers than Apple TV Plus. I'll, oh, I'd take that bet. Okay, let's let's do that bet at the end of the year. Yeah, I take that bet at the end of the year. Subscribers to Apple TV Plus versus versus HBO Max. Yeah, I take that. No bet. points or anything. Straight up. No, no. Yeah, straight up. Straight straight away. Okay. Yeah. But well, what are we betting? Yeah. I don't know. The same thing we bet when. Pic- Disney picture, never yeah. got okay, purchased lose, by Apple. I yeah. lose picture of me with Cowboys jersey. <laughs> there you go. Yours with A. Something and, like that. And, and this time, I'll pick the jersey that you have to wear. Okay, fine. That's fine. <laughs> All right, let's go on That's to the fine. next topic. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at CXL, a company that trains some of the world's best marketers. I had the opportunity to view the platform recently, and I have to tell you, I was quite impressed. Every instructor CXL uses is the absolute best in the world at what they do. Names like Simo Ahava, Momoko Price, Paul Bogue, Andy Crestadina, the list goes on. These folks are the top practitioners in their respective fields. And I love the format. They don't just toss out a bunch of lessons into a course like other providers I've seen. CXL knows that information is only one part of the learning, and their courses are designed for implementation. One last thing I'll mention about CXL, mini degrees. These intensive training programs are built to grow you from a novice marketer to an expert practitioner, step by step. The innovative marketers of today and tomorrow have a broad understanding of all marketing disciplines with a deep expertise in one or two areas. This is what CXL focuses on, giving you both knowledge in a broad array of marketing skills and a deep ability in the ones that matter most. If you're looking to take your marketing to the next level, I highly recommend you check out CXL at cxl.com that's fine all right let's move along shall we um well speaking of acquisitions and all of the things but going on in media this next story comes to us courtesy of the hollywood reporter um and the headline here is behind podcasting's m&a frenzy easier to buy than build says the headline uh the hollywood reporter then reports companies like wondery stitcher megaphone the ringer and serial productions all became acquisition targets in 2020 amid a boom in listenership uh amazon's december 30th agreement but to buy wondery the maker of popular shows dirty john and the shrink next door capped a year of notable consolidation in the podcast industry companies like 
Stitcher, Megaphone, The Ringer, Serial Productions all became acquisition targets. Some 104 million Americans listened to podcasts monthly last year. Edison Research, uh, with our friend Tom Webster, of course, uh, and Triton Digital estimated in their 2020 Infinite Dial report up from 90 million in 2019. But the growing audience only partially explains the M&A appeal. Amazon, citing the evolution of listener habits, said its plans to use Wondery's programming to help it expand the non-music selection available via streaming services, Amazon Music. And so they're basically going on, uh, the article goes on to talk about all of the opportunities that seem to be available to podcast listeners today. And, and um, yeah, it seems like the, the gold rush is on in podcasting. Yeah, you're sealing, yeah, this is definitely a land grab. It's, um, okay, so- it, with all content, it's a land grab, but specifically there's this fight over who's going to be the dominant player in audio. And it, it, it does look like it's becoming an Amazon versus Spotify battle, right? Wouldn't you say? Is that? Yeah, I think. Maybe yeah, Apple's, I think you've Apple's got the, there, of course, but it seems like these are the two that are making a serious push. That's right. That's right. There's, you know, I mean, it's, it's you know, sort of the, you know, I think you have an ecosystem it, it, not not unlike where cable TV was back in the late 80s and early 90s, um, where you had sort of the big the big behemoths that were sort of owned by big media companies, um, which at that point were you know HBO and Showtime and uh, and and then you had a lot of consolidation when they bought Movie Channel and Showtime bought. Uh, um, why I can't remember it. Uh, uh, they bought Movie Channel, HBO bought uh, Cinemax, yep. um, and 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 so on and so forth. And you had this consolidation, and so you had this sort of two big behemoths at the pay, and then you had sort of five hundred channels of everything else. And that's sort of what podcasting is now. You've got these big media companies that are producing things like you know Joe Rogan and and you know the big celebrity stuff, and then you've got like chuckleheads like us that make a show, right? Um, and, and I think, you know, that the haves and have nots there will continue to deepen as it were, you know, so the middle ground gets, you know, uh, squished, um, and audio generally speaking will, will continue to grow and grow and grow. Audio is still at its infancy, even though 104 million Americans listen to podcasts. It's still, you know, when, when do they say the first real podcast came out, um, uh, 2000 late 90s from the mtv yeah, guy? something like that yeah yeah uh, exactly right yeah so but still a lot of people don't think of it as a thing and you've got two things going on you do have a lot of amazing content creators building audiences via audio via podcasts and you have these big tech companies have so much money they can't spend it all robert yeah, they have, it's ridiculous. Like what happened since the everything fell out in the market, and we had the recession starting in March, and but the the unequal distribution of money that has happened have gone. The big companies got significantly bigger, have so much cash on their books right now, they've got to spend it to grow, and you're going to see more and more of this happen. So. If you're a content creator, you think, okay, well, I got one podcast or two podcasts. Well, maybe we should look at a suite of podcasts for our audience and become the leading content creator for that particular niche. Um, yeah, you, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting to see what's going to happen. I would imagine this will only continue in 2021. 
Oh, for sure. You know, this is the, I mean, it's the same race that we just talked about, yeah. right? It's the race for programming. And the more that these companies like Amazon and Spotify can consolidate programming into one sort of area where you have to go for that programming, the better. And so, you know, the, the, the opportunity that opened up with, of course, with uh, podcasting was, you know, yes, you had to go through a device manufacturer usually to get, you know, this was when you went pretty much to iTunes and that was kind of it. And then you could go to Google Play and then you could go to, you know, all these other sort of distribution networks, which, by the way, as a publisher makes it very difficult. You and I would both agree, you know, where you have to publish on, you know, I mean, how many platforms are we now available on for this old marketing? You know, what is it, 20 or something mm-hmm. like that? You know, so just because of the different networks we have to be available for because of the opportunity, that number will go down. That, you know, it will, it will oh, and go it is, down. Oh, it is, obviously. With yeah, Stitcher being and, purchased and more. Yes, absolutely. That's right. And so it will go down as 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 the market consolidates. And, and that is not necessarily good news for people like you and I. Right. That because what it's going to mean is, is that, you know, at some point it's going to be harder to get distribution for uh, for for, you know, to access to audiences. And that's, you know, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but that's what we talk about every single week, you know, is access to audiences. And that's what Spotify and Amazon are battling for right now is access to the audience. Well, look what look what's happening with television right now. It's like, oh, I want to watch Ted Lasso. Well, where is that? That's on Apple TV. You know, I want to watch Game of Thrones. Where is that? So you've got to go find that station for it. Right, podcasting right now is we're you're everywhere. You're on every one yeah. of the stations. Well, now that's, that's right. changing, and that has started just like Howard Stern going from radio over to Sirius XM. You've got Joe Rogan who made the move over to Spotify. I stopped listening. I. You know, I just haven't changed my behavior. I used to listen to a Joe Rogan podcast every couple weeks or something. Well, I haven't since November because he's on Spotify, and I and I use yeah. Overcast as my app. So right. that's kind of interesting to see that. So you know, could this old marketing be on Spotify only, or you know, in two years? I don't. I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's it's possible, but it. I think the bigger issue and. You shared this as well, and we'll put this in the show notes. But when you talk about the the audio trend, you can't just talk about podcasting. I think that the, what I've seen, what I've read in the past three weeks, and this article from What's New in Publishing talks about it as well. You're seeing more and more just plain audio. Like publishers are creating all these different audio versions of their articles. And I think the key is, and I think the thing that we often forget is, in in five or ten years, maybe less, we're not going to be typing into to, into a Google search bar. We're going to right. be we're going to be asking something for search results, and those search results cannot be in in text. Like ninety nine percent of the content right now is in text. It needs to be in whether it's a synthetic voice or whether it's a narrator's voice a human narrator we've got to get that stuff moved over so i think that's what you're going to so if i'm if i'm a content creator listening to this podcast right now i honestly would start thinking about oh look almost all my content is textual do i need to rethink or reprogram at least some of this to start moving it over into audio yeah yeah i think that's a i think that's a an excellent point you know and so it's 
it's how, you know, it, I mean, for everybody, it's going to be different, right? So it's just, it's the, the question becomes not if, but when, right? How, how quickly do we make this a priority? You know, I know many of the companies that we speak to are, you know, are really taking deep dives, especially those in the, you know, B2C consumer packaged goods companies, especially as direct to consumer and, you know, curbside and all the stuff that's happening now because of COVID is happening is, you know, so many of them looking at audio search audio uh, or, you know, voice um, activated things that are, you know, um, becoming a big piece of their their availability or findability strategy. Yeah, let's not forget that the biggest thing that us podcasters and anyone that listens to podcasts complain about is search is terrible. Finding things by a certain keyword or keyword phrase on audio right now is almost it's almost impossible, especially on Apple and their ratings, which are terrible, which are honestly yeah. meaningless. I don't, they don't, they don't stand for anything. Cause some of these things, I see some things in the top 50 of people that haven't updated their podcast for years and they're still in the top 50. Like get out of there. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, Stupid. it's, it's annoying to me too, but yeah, but there's <laughs> going to be, me. there's going to yeah. be someday where that's going to change. Right. I'm thinking it has to, it has to. Well, I mean, but here's the thing. This, this gets to what we were just talking about, Right. The media companies like an Amazon or a Spotify are only going to care about the audiences that they reach, right? So it's in their best interest that we actually, you know, podcasts like us and podcasts like marketers would create never have a real clear picture of, quite frankly, or or clear access to audiences because they're competition. And, and, And so there's no incentive for... Uh, Apple or Amazon or Spotify to make better access to those audiences available to folks like us. It's only in their best interest when they actually own and, and can distribute their own content because then they can sell against it. And, and so, uh, you know, get used to it, right? This is, this is the way it's going to be until either someone comes along and sort of takes it over, which at this point may be too late, but, um, or or something else, you know, or something, or or there's a different way to monetize. You know, it. that's interesting. You're right. Let's say that you go to Spotify and you say, "I want to know the top trending marketing podcasts." Instead of that, instead of looking at the whole universe, they'll give you here's the top trending Spotify marketing podcast. Of course, right? of course just they like, will. Yeah, yeah of just course. like on HB if you're on HBO or Disney Plus or anything, they're not going to show the competition stuff. They're going to say, "Here's our stuff." That's right. Yeah. That's right. And guess where they learned that from? They learned that from Netflix. You know, the the lesson that Netflix learned so well and has ultimately taught the media companies is that you do not have to make the availability uh, and popularity of your shows available to the general public. That's right. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I often ask, what do you think the, the, the top rated show on Netflix is? And somebody will say, oh, it's got to be Bridgerton or it's got to be this show or this show. And I say, no, you don't know. You, you, you purposely don't know. They, they purposely are not sharing that. And by the way, it's caused a huge challenge with, you know, the agencies here in Los Angeles that are trying to negotiate deals for directors and for actors and those sorts of things because they don't share it with them either. So they, you can't go and renegotiate your terms for a new actor and say, look at their Nielsen ratings because you don't get Nielsen ratings on on Netflix. Netflix goes, meh, 
Yeah, yeah, they're popular, but not that popular. I'm not going to pay big money for they them. They only you know? share it out when they want to. They that's only right. Share it out that's when they, exactly that's a, right. Whatever that Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston movie that came out. It's oh, it was the top rom com ever. You know, to right. come out it, it, more than anyone's ever in the history. Well, they they release that when they want to. Right, and maybe it was, and maybe, maybe it wasn't. It was. Yeah, we don't know. know. Yeah. It's their own proprietary data. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right. We should move on to our next story here because it's a it's a good one. Let's do it. Um, and uh, it, it is it, we've grouped a bunch of these together that we're going to put into the show notes, of course. Um, and uh, it is you know we've talked about this for months and months and months that the acquisitions would start to increase, and boy, here we are in the seventh day of January. I didn't think we would get them all in one week, though. Robert. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, we, we'll just, we'll, I'll just name them off yeah, really quickly here because, and we'll of course link to all of them, but, uh, uh, Mark, I guess it's, is uh, or Marquee. Wouldn't it be Marquee? Marquee. Yeah. yeah. The luxury wholesale supplier has, acqu- has acquired the popular resale blog closet full of cash, uh, which has been announced, uh, as a, as an acquisition, the full of cash, uh, is an online guide and resource to wholesale vintage shopping and reselling. Um, they've been growing and growing and growing. And of course, Marquee, the luxury network, uh, buying that. Then you have uh, even a bigger deal. You've got the Penny Hoarder, which I actually have subscribed to in the past, uh, has been acquired by Sykes, which is a agency services um, uh, sort of uh, a company. And then we have Amazon, of course, acquiring Wondery, uh, which we just talked about. And finally, we've got Wyndham, the hotel uh, uh, sort of uh, company, and buying Travel and Leisure magazine. That's big news, um, too. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, and that's... Yes. That's it's just, it's, just it's, hot it's off huge. the wire right there with that one. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's just happened literally yesterday uh, as we record this on the 7th, so... Uh, you know, the, I mean, if, it, if we haven't put too fine a point on it, and the one that intrigues me the most, I have to say, is Wyndham buying uh, Travel and Leisure, because here's a industry that has been just smacked in the face with COVID and the pandemic and, and the lack of travel, and here they are understanding and, and investing in uh, a very popular magazine, $100 million deal, um, and basically have said that Meredith, the company that actually has run the magazine for a long time, will continue to run the media operation. And but now they'll they'll own it and, of course, have access to the data and the subscribers. And guess what? Access to the audience. Well, do you think let's talk about travel, travel and leisure for a second, because <clears throat> as everything just went all to heck for the travel industry starting in March at the same time. Airbnb, if they were not before, has become the leading brand worldwide for travel. I don't think that, and I don't, I mean, you may disagree with me, but if you're saying what's the most valuable travel brand right now, I would say it's Airbnb. And I think all these other travel companies are playing catch up. I almost look at this purchase as a challenger brand strategy, almost. It's like, what are we going to do to be competitive with the Airbnbs of the world? We're, we're going to have to, if we either build audience or we're going to go have to buy it. In this case, they went and bought it. I don't know. Would you agree with that? I don't know if you pay attention to the Airbnb dominance. Worldwide. Yeah, I think, well, I think, yeah, I mean, 
I mean, but is it is it is Airbnb dominating right now? I mean, yes. you know, I think you know. Well, so are, you, okay, I'll give you. Are you going to Let go go uh, outside the country. Does anybody know who Wyndham is? Very <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, it's, it's yeah, mostly the, United States. So is Marriott. Mostly, sure, of course. Uh, I would say the Ritz Carlton maybe is an international brand. Um, couple other ones that you you know internationally but not necessarily a premium brand what what brand for sure in just about every country you're in will they know airbnb true yeah. good point it's a much much more global brand much right there's global there's brand. absolutely that well yeah. and then so, plus you know, they've gone public and now they're kajillion not worth a kajillion dollars or something like that yes so yes. so i think that regardless you i I mean, it's tough because, uh, you know, if if you are a secondary or, or you know, third, fourth, or fifth brand in your industry, what do you do? I think this is one thing that you really have to like. You're Sykes, and you're an agency. What do you do become to become the leading agency? You've got to go find audience. Right. Everybody's exactly like right. wanting to find audience. I think that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, I think it's you know it's it's. <laughs> And it's finding the right kind of audience. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, because frankly, Wyndham's audience is different than the Airbnb audience, right? I mean, you know, they're, I mean, ultimately you can, you might be able to argue that it's the same kind of people, but it's people looking for very different kinds of experiences. And, and so, so for example, one of the, one of the things that I've, you know, sort of come to the conclusion to, and we talk about it in the workshops that we teach, um, is the Airbnb model of who their biggest competitors are, right? When they've looked at, you know, when Airbnb looks at its competitors, it does not typically look at a Wyndham as a competitor. It looks at not going, right? So their, their major audiences are people who don't go, eh, maybe I'm going to go to Marriott versus an Airbnb. No, they go, I'm going to an Airbnb or I'm not going, right? I'm not going to go visit my kids, new, you know, son-in-law or whatever, or I'm not going to that conference. And so their whole content marketing, and you can see it in the way that they advertise and market themselves, they are, um, they're looking at getting people to go, right? They just need people to travel because they know if they travel, they'll go to an Airbnb. Wyndham, on the other hand, is trying to get people to make destination choices that favor their properties. So very much like a Marriott, very much like a, you know, a Hilton, they're trying to get very specific people to make very specific decisions. In the past, it's mostly been business, obviously. Um, and I don't know Wyndham's business well enough to know what, but it's, it's when I see Wyndham buying travel and leisure, I think, ah, what they're really trying to do is they've, they've looked at that audience and said, we have great answers for what travel and leisure normally covers, you know, which is leisure, you know, yeah. leisure travel. And so that's what they're trying to get a hold of and get a and get data on and get better customer experience delivery with, which is why they buy something like that, right? And so it's the it's not just getting an audience full stop. It's 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 uh it's it's access to the right kind of audience. Yes, as understanding well. that audience. The data is a huge a huge deal as part of this. But I think the one thing as we round up all these purchases and you look at it, I, I can't what year was it when we were in Singapore, you and I, we had a meeting with a, 
with a ex- senior marketing executive at a very large consumer goods company. And we were talking about back then, so this is eight years ago, where we were talking about purchasing properties like yeah. this. And remember his example or his, his reaction was he said he never thought about it from that perspective. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. Well, here's yep. the difference with what's happening now. Would you, if you go into a chief marketing officer's office, I mean, you, you talk to more than I do right now. They're all thinking about it, right? They're all aware of that it's happening, correct? Or are they yep. still behind the curve? What would you say? I would say they're mostly still behind the curve. Wow, that's hard to believe. You know, I mean, I think, and mostly it's because, you know, we're still, I mean, for the most part, most businesses are still where we were at the end of 2019. Nobody, no real advancement happened in 2020. I mean, everybody was just sort of triaging, trying to keep the lights on and and do things, right? Nobody sort of, you know, for the most part, right? You know, there were some companies that certainly made big investments, those companies that were doing better. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but I think in, in, in large part, we're still, you know, where we were a year and a half ago, you know, for most businesses. And so they're, they're still looking at this as like, you know, they don't really get it yet. Well, except I would, I would say that they, these people, these four examples, uh, They've all been on the ball looking at this as an opportunity. And you've got, of course, you, you know, we've talked about it, what, it was a couple of weeks ago, just about consumer behavior hasn't really changed. It just accelerated in the directions it was already heading. But, you know, we've seen that with e-commerce. We've seen that with things like Airbnb, those, those aspects. Uh, I think the innovative companies that were already thinking about, okay, well, there is going to be this land grab going on right now and we have to do something – Boy, I'll tell you what, if you're not thinking about this stuff, if you still were sort of in stasis mode for 2020, I feel bad for those businesses. They're not going to make it. Yeah. It's moving too fast now. It's moving way too fast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Well, we should move on to our rants and rave section. You're empirically proven not to be the most important part (laughs) of the show. Absolutely. It is time for your empirically proven favorite part of the show. That is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that has made us feel like storming the Capitol or making us feel like uh, we've gotten everything settled and we're all ensconced safely into our homes and doing well. Um, would you like me to go first or would you like to go first you know, in I've, our mine, rants and rave uh, yeah, section? Mine's mine's very brief. Let me, let me do mine because okay. I want to yeah, yeah. get your... Your take, I think yours might be a longer conversation because I know what you're going to cover. So two things. We were going to cover this in the main section, but we didn't have time. So I want to make sure I get this out here. Uh, this is from a media operator. Great site. Lessons learned from WW84 launch. It's worth the read just from a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about on this program. But the one thing I wanted to pick out that I think is interesting is he talks about this move from monthly membership subscription to quarterly. Because of this churn that happens with a lot, and of course we know there's a big deal. A lot of people are setting up membership sites online for education sites, training sites, whatever, and you get you lose that subscriber after the first 30 days because they haven't had the chance to engage in a lot of that content yet. It's too soon 
to form a habit. So he's talking about this move to quarterly subscriptions. I really think, Robert, that's a thing. I think that's going to be a thing. We're going to see more of these membership sites go to quarterly instead of because most of them are just, oh, monthly or annual. I think you're going to start to see quarterly or annual sort of be the thing. I just love that. It's such a small thing, but I think it's really important. So that's the one thing I wanted to rave about. The second thing is, and of course, I talk about this. It seems like every episode and nobody cares, but I'm going to continue to talk about it. This is from the New York Post. Despite pandemic, 60 new print magazines launched in 2020. Um I got to talk about print for a little bit because 60 might sound like a lot, but 60 is completely anemic. There was 139 the year before and more before that and more before that. So 60 in the United States is disgustingly small. Uh, The reason why I'm telling you this is if you can figure out any kind of a business model or a data model right now, there's just nothing competitive-wise in print. Nothing. Like, if you're having trouble, we talked about the opportunities in podcasting, which is getting quite cluttered, textual content, very cluttered, uh, things, new apps, and, you know, I think you're going to talk about Clubhouse in a little bit. We can talk about that. TikTok, they become very crowded very, very quickly. Here is an area that everyone, everyone gets the post. If you can figure out how to support that, and by the way, there's a lot of printers out there that will really do good deals with you because they want to keep their presses running and would like to stay in business. I think there's a real opportunity for print. And by the way, we've talked about our friend Wally Koval, who did his, and this is a book, but he you know, he launched his book, Accidentally Wes Anderson, that's been on the New York Times bestseller list for the last, what, six weeks? Something like that? Yep, yep. Print is still a thing. It's just hard to monetize print. Uh, so if you can find a way to support print in some way, I think that it is a huge competitive advantage if you wish to do that. So those are the two yeah. that I wanted to cover in my I don't think that was a rant or a rave. It's more of a desperate plea for, <laughs> people, for people to do something in print. And I right. love print exactly. magazines so much, but. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you know, it's, I mean, they're great, right? I mean, you know, once you have, you know, it's, it's like one of those things where once you have it, it's fantastic. And if you can make it work, it's even more fantastic. But starting, it's just so daunting to get something like that going and, and so expensive. And it just, you know, it's it's one of those things where everybody goes, yeah, I know it would be awesome if but blah, blah, blah. You know, it's it's you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a big hurdle. Well, right, getting I mean, into the print business. We, I mean, this is years ago. Right. But when we launched Chief Content Officer magazine, uh, when I was at the helm of Content Marketing Institute, uh, that that we showed we showed that those people that subscribed to Chief Content Officer were our most valuable customers. They spent right. the most. Those are the people that did all the classes and spent all the training time and did those things. So I mean, it took us a couple of years to get that data, but if you can do that, I mean, that's like uh, TD Ameritrade does uh, Think or Swim magazine, and Think or Swim magazine, the people that subscribe, the traders that subscribe to that, trade five times more than those that don't. That's really valuable. I mean, how how are you going to get 500% ROI? You're not going to get it. So that magazine pays for itself in trading. So if you can find those kinds of things, it could be amazingly valuable for the company and the audience. So yeah. All right. What do you got? Agreed. All right. I got, uh, well, the first one, let's just, just 
dispense with, uh, which is Clubhouse. Uh, I see that you're there. I'm there. It all happened over the holidays. Um, for those of you who don't know, Clubhouse is a new social media platform, audio only. Um, and you don't save it. It basically wants its live audio. So once you start a little Clubhouse, as, as it were, or a club, you start it up, people show up, you listen, you talk, um, and then it's done and it's over. And, um, it's by invitation only now. Um, we have both received invitations, um, through separate people. Um, and, um, I had a chance to play with it over the holidays and have a take on it, but no, I want uh, to hear it. Yeah. I want yeah. you've, you've definitely been in it more than I have. I haven't, I mean, I, I joined, uh, a couple weeks ago, got an invite from my friend, Mike. Hey, Mike, how you doing? And, um, yeah. And so I've been, I've been testing it, but I think you've been on it more. So give me your take. I, you know, my take is right now is that it's, it's, it's sort of representative of the audience that has early adopted to it. Um, so there's not a, you know, there's a lot of interesting content for other people. Um, in other words, most of the content that I'm seeing up there, uh, you know, I'm, peripherally interested in, but I, you know, it's something that I might read and, you know, and, and read about, but I'm not terribly interested in joining at the, you know, at the, in the moment. Um, and the marketing stuff that's on there is not good. Um, if it, it really that I've, that I have seen anyway. Is, what what is, kind is, of marketing know, is it more? Well, there's lots of the million dollar. Yeah. Like, you know, here, here's how you hack your way to a six figure income. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of, you know, guys walking around yachts going, here's how I basically, you know, created a million dollars worth of income in six months. Right. And, you know, it's, it, it's, I think it's, I'm, 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 I'll put it this way. I'm cautiously pessimistic, actually. I'll put it that way. I think it may die under its own weight. Um, it may, you know, it, it may be one of those things that, you know, marketing and, other the the mass audience ruins it may have been a better idea for a niche audience um and we'll see uh, i think you know so my my first impression is i'm i'm not having the same reaction to it uh that i did when i first started getting involved with twitter which i thought was really interesting um and i'm not certainly having the same reaction that i had when i when i first uh, experience things like Facebook or LinkedIn, which I also thought were really interesting. My reaction is much more like what I found with some of the other social media platforms like Vine and stuff like that, that I experienced where I was like, ah, I'm not, I, 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 I it's not engaging me at all, really. So, yeah. I, um, you know, and I know in many cases there are, there are a lot of people who are passionate about it, including Mike, the guy who invited both of us, um, to the platform who's passionate about it. Um, and so, and done very well with it and and done very well, but I think that's the key. I think that if you're willing to dedicate the time to it and build sort of your audience, um, group, if you will, uh, and find the the type of shows or create this kind of shows and spend hours on it, you can get a lot out of it and you can get a quick following. At least right now. I like the fact that they've kept it invitation only. I think they should do that for a long time. But the problem is when I go in and I start searching around in rooms, I'm not willing, like, I'll drop into a room and check it out and I'll leave and I'll, and then I'll go do something else. I don't, yeah. I, I'm not. It's very linear. It's I'm very not linear. Po- yeah. I'm not, and this is just me. 
this is the same thing. I wasn't into Vine either. I love the whole Twitter thing, or I love I can flip through Facebook real quick and get some headlines or comment on this or post this quickly. There's nothing quick about Clubhouse, in my opinion. That's right. If you're willing That's to invest right. in it, I think you can be really successful at it. But if you're gonna, yep. if you want to just treat it like another quick social media thing, it's not going to work for you. That's exactly so. right. Um, all right, and then one quick rave, which I have to mention, um, and thanks, uh, big hat tip to Carlos Abler, uh, friend and family of the show, of course, for sending this to me. And he basically his email to me when he sent this over was, um, you know, you have found your home. Um, this is an article from The Atlantic that we'll, of course, put into the show notes. Uh, and it is called The Scientific Case for Two Spaces After a Period. And I've been waiting for this article my whole life, Joe, uh, which is basically a new study proves that half of people are correct and that the other half is also correct. So and it goes on to explain, you know, how much in this time of division, family and communities are splintered by polarizing narratives and political views and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then it starts to go off on the sort of two spaces after a period versus one space. And of course, old guys like me were taught two spaces two after spaces. a period. Yeah, so is that. Yeah, be, because of readability. And of course, with the advent of fonts and 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 computers, um, that has become not as meaningful. Um, and this article goes on to talk about a study that was done that basically proves that it is actually uh, a good thing uh, to have two spaces after periods, or it's not wrong, basically. And so I, I include it because it speaks to me. It speaks to me, Joe. <laughs> it speaks to me in a way that the same thing that the Oxford comma speaks to me. And so, you know, I, I, I include it for those of you who are out there who are still like me, two spaces after a period and getting slapped on the hands for it, um, that you actually have something you can lean on now. Well, I, I think that you have to appreciate an article where everyone's right. Yeah, today, exactly. <laughs> today's exactly. day. I love this. Exactly. It's like, you're all right. You like it? You're right. You use it. You're right. You don't use it. You're fine. It's that's every, right. We love everyone. We're that's all right. like human beings. So that's right. That nice. is exactly right. Um, all right. Well, what are you doing this week? Well, I have to tell you, we're, we have a, the Sunday night game against the Steelers. Yes. And, I'm, and we are all preparing. We're all getting it's in our gonna be fun. mode. Uh, yeah, many, many rosaries. All, anything I can find. Uh, I, and I really don't care about religion right now. Whatever it takes, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're going to pray to it and genuflect and make sure that the Browns come home with a victory or at least a respectable showing. Isn't that terrible? I really that want is, them to win. No, it's lovely. But we haven't it's been wonderful. there. So I don't know how to feel. So that's it's going to be doing. great. So we have it, they're beatable Sunday night. Pittsburgh's we got beatable. The yeah. Sunday night we got the Browns, and then and then Monday are the Buckeyes. So crazy times, crazy sports. Nice. Time. How about you, sir? I like it. Uh, I am heads down. We are, you know, it has been a kickoff to the year in a, in an amazing fashion. We are busy with client work, and you know, we're right back at it. So it's uh, I'm actually you know knocking on my head. I'm 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 feeling blessed right at the moment because a lot of work and we're locked down here in California. So not a lot of places to go. So just put my head into the work and, and work, 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 scotch, 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 and, scotch, work, work. And by work, the way, work. as most people already know, we're weekly now. So that's right. Every week. That is right. Every week us. you're going to have us. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> I don't so. know if this is a good thing, but it is a thing. It's a thing for us. It's a thing for us. And with that, we will sign off from our first show of 2021. We're signing off. If you want to get all the goodness of this podcast show notes or dive into any of the other 251 episodes, just head on over 
to our shiny new website, thisoldmarketing.site. Uh, we want to thank the wonderful folks over at Radix for powering our thisoldmarketing.site show notes uh, website. Uh, and until we meet again next week, just remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.